T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. However, the big story this week, the shootings in Florida. And with that in mind, we once again bring in Robert Spitzer. He's a professor at SUNY Cortland in their political science department. He's really a a national gun control expert. You've heard him on the program before. Author of five different books about gun control, including Guns Across America, Reconciling Gun Rules and Rights. And he's also written or at least worked on the Encyclopedia of Gun Policy and gun rights. So if there's a guy out there that can tell us whether there's going to be any movement in Congress in light of this, he's the man. Professor Spitzer, thanks for joining us. Sure, good to be with you. What do you think? Anytime you and I have talked after mass shootings in the past, I think the consensus then was there's not going to be any movement in Congress. Of course, that was at a time when you had a split between the uh, Republicans and the Democrats and the presidency, not all held by one party. We now have it all one party. It's a party that is close to uh, the NRA. It's a party that has never put this sort of stuff forward. But I also think of, um, I think of 1972, China. Only Nixon could go to China. I think of uh, President Reagan, how once he had the support for tearing down Russia, he was able to uh, kind of go forward and, and, and at least push forward with Glasnost. Are we in a situation where you think in any way it's possible, especially with a renegade president like President Trump, that there could be movement on this issue? Well, I think there's uh, a few ways in which there could be movement. I mean, the first point I'd make is that the current Congress will never take up any gun measures. Um, in fact, the gun measures before them right now are to basically loosen gun restrictions, and <clears throat> those have made some progress in Congress thus far, although the, uh, those efforts will be halted during this particular period of time. But they will undoubtedly resume. And... Uh, even if there were a hundred mass shootings next week, Congress will do nothing. It's baked into who they are and how they function through the elections, at least. But there are two other areas where we could be see some, seeing some action. One, or some movement. One is in the states. There's quite a bit of pressure building in Florida itself, even though Florida, of course, is a, uh, is a Republican governor and a Republican state legislature. But there seems to be some movement there for some kind of action. Something may or may not occur. It's, it's hard to know. Some other states may decide to enact their own new gun measures. But uh, the, the other question is whether this issue has raised enough attention, enough concern among uh, people who were not paying attention to the issue before that it might become an issue in the fall 2018 elections. I don't know that it will for certain, but given the way people are reacting right now, if the issue becomes an issue in the 2018 elections, that could be an avenue for uh, having it addressed at the national level and also in uh, congressional and state races around the country. And that could be a harbinger of change as well. When something is talked about in the context of a political campaign like that, often it's because there is an organized group pushing it. Are the people in Florida, uh, the rallies that we saw yesterday with students, an indicator 
of people being more organized than they were perhaps after Sandy Hook? Will this issue get advanced more because there are groups that are able to push it forward more? Well, it's a two-step process. There has there have been these demonstrations that were really kind of an uh, almost spontaneous outpouring of people wanting to express themselves publicly. But then you have to take the second step and see if you can translate that into long-term political action. You might remember way back in 2000, for example, there was something called the Million Mom March in Washington, D.C., which was a reaction to the Columbine shooting. And that uh, what, that resulted in one of the largest mass demonstrations in Washington, D.C. in history. It was a huge demonstration in May of 2000, but that demonstration didn't really yield any concrete political action to speak of. It just kind of dissipated. So it's a key question as to whether the energy and the interest that's being shown now can or will be translated into actual political action this fall will will candidates be pressed to talk about the gun issue will money be funneled into campaigns will voters uh, insist that the issue be discussed um, and all of the other things that could translate a political movement into actual concrete political change we're talking about something that's nine months away do you think it'll happen well, that's a key point, because nine months is a very, very long time in politics. I don't know if it will or not. The past past indicators suggest no, but there does seem to be a kind of a changing climate about things and about the gun issue, a growing frustration and a growing sense that the government simply is not responsive to the will of most people. I mean, it's beyond dispute that the vast majority of Americans support some very specific uh stronger gun measures and the government uh, you know by and large the national government and most of the states have not responded at all and that growing frustration could have an impact on uh politics nine months from now but we'll see i mean if i was a betting man i wouldn't bet money on it just because um the past record has suggested that uh that that it's too long a period, and it's too tough to make the translation, so to speak. But it could happen. Uh, maybe to, maybe things are starting to shift. In the past, I know you've said that, that uh, universal support for background checks, or at least a, a majority of Americans supporting background checks, is kind of the sweet spot, that there is sentiment there for some sort of change, just not necessarily sentiment in Congress. Well, I actually, if you uh, uh, polled members of Congress, I think in both houses, I think you would find that most members of Congress in both houses support universal background checks. However, the leadership would never allow it to come onto the floor for debate or vote. They would not allow committee hearings to be held. Uh, it, it's simply a situation where the party leadership understands how close they are and how uh, closely identified and tied to the NRA and what's called the gun lobby. And it's simply not any kind of movement that would occur. I think, though, that most members of Congress, if polled, would support and probably do support such measures. We know, in fact, that about 90% of all Americans support universal background checks for all gun sales and exchanges, and nearly as many gun owners support the same. It's uh, around 80% among gun owners. So there really is kind of a meeting of the minds about that and it is a a, a non-trivial number depending on what survey you look at between or what study between twenty and forty percent of all gun 
sales and exchanges in America occur without a background check. Some states have tightened up on that. New York State has for one, but most states have not. So it's a, it's a good example of the kind of thing that most overwhelming majorities of people support, again, including gun owners and even NRA members, but the political structure is such that it's kind of frozen in place and at the national level will not be responding. Professor Robert Spitzer is with us from SUNY Cortland. He's the author of five different books on gun policy and gun control. You've heard about the program before. He's kind of our go-to guy after these shooters. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll start taking calls right after the news break, coming up in about three or four minutes here. But there is one other item I wanted to get to, and it is President Trump. You said that uh, individual members of Congress may be interested in changing uh, some of the gun rules. You said that the leadership is not going to introduce this. President Trump has not been exactly in lockstep with that leadership. What do you see there? Well, I think Trump uh, will hold the line on opposing any new gun measures. The NRA endorsed him during his campaign in the summer of 2016 and was really the first major uh, kind of conservative interest group to endorse his candidacy while there were still while there was still wasn't entirely clear that he was going to be the nominee, um, and he uh, he values loyalty among all things, and they have stood very close with him, and he has been extremely supportive of them and their agenda, and I think that personal loyalty will be decisive in Trump not abandoning any of the positions that the NRA would want him to take. In terms of policies, the thing is Trump doesn't care that much about policy in almost any area. I mean, 10, 15, 20 years ago, Trump supported stronger gun laws, so he's really done an about-face on the gun issue. But given the uh, overriding importance of personal loyalty and personal support, and of course they funneled $30 million to his campaign at a time when he... uh, was in need of the money, I just think that tie is strong enough that he's not going to break with them in any respect that he would not uh, support, much less sign, any new gun measure. One more note before we take our break. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about mental health issues, bringing those to the forefront. The president started tweeting about that right after the shooting. Here's Marco Rubio from the Senate floor earlier this week. I'm not saying don't focus on the gun part. But we also have to focus on the violence part. For to talk about gun violence requires you to talk about both. And so I hope that we can start to figure it out. What about a big package that includes something on mental health, something on violence, and, okay, by the way, a little bit of something involving maybe bump stocks? Do you see it getting further down the road if it's all lumped together in one big thing plunked down before Congress shortly? Well, you know, that would be a logical proposal. I think it would be a sound proposal, both in terms of policy and uh, in terms of building a coalition of both houses. But I just think that the leadership would not allow it to proceed because they're looking at uh, the 2018 elections because of the critical support that they've received from uh, groups like the NRA. And Again, in policy terms, I think it'd be perfectly sensible. I think you could build majority support in both houses for something like that, but I just don't think it's going to happen. All right, we'll pick that up uh, after the break. We'll take your calls, too. If you're on hold, stay right there. Professor Robert Spitzer is here from SUNY Cortland. He's really kind of a national expert on gun rights and gun regulations, and we'll have more with him. And your phone calls, too. Stay with us. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. 
It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Dr. Robert Spitzer is with us once again, professor in the political science department at SUNY Cortland, about three hours the other way, uh, out, out east uh, toward Ithaca. And uh, he's the author of five different gun books on gun policy. You've probably heard him on the program before. We've got a lot of people on hold, and I won't take too long on this, but I do need to ask you, um, New York State has what is considered one of the strictest gun control measures on the books, the New York State Safe Act. And yet, I, I ended up doing a news story this week. People in the newsroom said, hey, how was it that a 19-year-old in Florida got this uh, semi-automatic rifle? And that caused me to look at whether or not he would indeed be able to get it here in New York State. And lo and behold, in a state with so much regulation on guns, he could. Uh, he hadn't been proclaimed mentally ill by a judge. Uh, it wasn't a pistol, so under 21 wasn't an issue. And uh, he could basically walk into a Capella's and get this gun. Does that, to your mind, Professor Spitzer, speak to the efficacy of gun control rules? Even in a strict state like this, a guy like him, who may even have been disturbed to begin with, could grab a gun and execute a shooting. Well, here's the thing. Under New York state law, it is true that he, being 18 years old, could go into a store and purchase an assault-type weapon. However, the weapon that he could legally buy under New York state law would be one that would not have a removable magazine, and it would be one where you would need to feed the bullets in each time you, uh, uh, each time you emptied the weapon. And the uh, existing uh, firearm couldn't hold more than 10 bullets. So he could not use removable bullet magazines as as the fellow did in Florida. And once he had fired the requisite 10 rounds out of it, he would have had to have laboriously and slowly uh, uh, inserted another up to 10 rounds to then refire. And uh, that would have prevented him from firing dozens or hundreds of rounds that he was able to do because he had a whole bunch of removable magazines with him in Florida, and that he could not purchase in New York State. So that would have put a significant limit on the number of rounds he could have fired and the number of people he could have wounded or killed, and also greatly increase the likelihood that somebody could have stopped him while he was changing firearms or something else. So it could theoretically have cut down on the lethality here. I think absolutely yes. All right. Tom, on a cell phone, you've been waiting from the test, uh, start of the interview. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi, folks. Um, professor, I, I, I'm glad to hear you speak. Uh, isn't the real problem the courts and money in government? The, once the court got bought off, the Second Amendment took a new meaning. It, it, the Second Amendment wasn't what we think of the Second Amendment right now until the 80s. Nobody had a right to assault rifle. WBEN makes their money being the lunatic fringe of gun lovers. I am not going to argue that point, but I can certainly disagree with you on that. Uh, but Professor Spitzer, jump in. Well, a couple things on the role of money. We know that you know the NRA has funneled a lot of money to political candidates, a lot of money to Trump during the election and to, and to other candidates. Um, but that is not the only factor that explains its influence. Part of its influence is because its membership, which isn't all that large compared to the population at large, um, is really is committed on this issue, and they will go to the mat and be actively involved in politics where the typical American isn't. In terms of the uh, Supreme Court ruling, uh, he, uh, the caller is right in noting that the Supreme Court 
changed the interpretation of the Second Amendment in its 2008 Heller Supreme Court decision. It was very controversial, precisely because it did change how the amendment had traditionally been understood under law. That is to say, the Second Amendment pertained only to citizens serving in a government-organized and regulated militia, then the Supreme Court says, well, no, we think it's an individual, a personal right. But even in that ruling, the Supreme Court went to great pains to say that, look, existing gun regulations are, are really perfectly fine under our interpretation. And laws like assault weapons bans, for example, have been challenged as a violation of the Second Amendment, but have been upheld pretty consistently by the federal courts, including the New York Safe Act, which was upheld by the Second Circuit, and the Supreme Court declined to uh, uh, rehear the case. So uh, pretty much any gun law you can think of that's on the book, short of banning people from having guns, have been viewed as constitutional, even under the individual right interpretation, which the caller is right, is a new view of the Second Amendment. And, sir, I, I, I try to stay as neutral of a moderator as I can, and I think uh, that that alone perhaps bashes against a little bit of the point you made about this station. But I just have I have to get this off my chest. I don't visit your house and soil your carpet. You don't come on this radio station and bash this station. I'm not going to allow that. That's not a debate we're having here. We're discussing the issue, not the station. Let's move on to this call from Bob in Buffalo. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, just a couple of uh, quick points. Uh, you know, the FBI, the police, CPS, all missed red flags. Uh, and uh, those kids had book packs, uh, or backpacks with books that could have been used for S.H.I.E.L.D. to rush the shooter, but that's neither here nor there. You know, New York City's got some of the toughest gun laws uh, in the country, and yet uh, they seem to be able to run you over on bike pads. They seem to be able to set off pipe bombs in subways. They seem to be able to drive jetliners into buildings and collapse them. In fact, I believe they even had a truck bomb underneath those buildings once and killed five people. Do you honestly think that gun control is what's going to be the answer to all this? And by the way, I'll just bring up France while I'm talking about this. Uh, November 13, 2015, there was a concert put on by Eagle Death Metal. Uh, they used AK-47s, not AR-15s, and they killed a whole lot of people. Do you really think that this is the answer? Or maybe God should be put back into society because we've become a godless society. All right, Professor Spitzer, what about the broader issues? Violence is committed on the streets of Chicago every day. Uh, there are a lot of folks that say we need to have, even, even in, in the wake of the shooting, the uh, bishop, the Roman Catholic bishop, bishop of Buffalo, put out a tweet talking about how Pope John Paul spoke of a culture of death. Uh, do we need to address cultural factors? Is that something you see as a political scientist uh, even being possible? Well, certainly talking about cultural issues is legitimate. We do, and we do that all the time, as a matter of fact. Um, but of course, you can't reach into people's brains and massage them to think just the way you think they should think. But the purpose of government and law is to do what it can do. And I would note that New York City is an extremely low crime city. In fact, their, not only their murder rate, but their violent crime rate is at record lows. And, you know, of course, New York is the largest city in the country. So they have been extremely successful at minimizing crime. It is certainly true that there was a, you know, the case of, uh, the guy who drove the truck and hit several uh, pedestrians, killing some of them. Um, there are other ways you can kill people aside from firearms, but there's no easier way to do it than with a firearm. All right, let's bring in another caller here that wants to, I think, raise the cultural issue. John in Rochester, you say that the media plays a part, too. 
Yeah, uh, Professor. Number one, uh, did you have any uh, uh, input into the SAFE Act? They should have uh, consulted you if they didn't. And number two, uh, the media. I've been reading articles on after all these mass shootings, and you never read about the effect the entertainment industry has on violence. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was in a movie, and I don't even know the name of it. I was channel surfing a few months ago. He went into a church with a semi-automatic weapon and annihilated, it was a 10-minute scene in this movie, annihilated, killed everyone in this church with an automatic weapon. I turned it off after that. But this is the type of thing that permeates uh, the media and entertainment, and some of these people that are on, on the fence as far as sanity goes are affected by this. But there's never anything talked about in that regard. Uh, what do you think about uh, boycotting like um, uh, Tom DiNapoli has uh, taken New York State pension funds from fossil fuels? What about taking pension funds and tax credits from the entertainment industry? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think that could be done. And there, there usually is discussion about the entertainment industry and how much violence there is. I think, you know, it is sort of in the mix, although to be honest, I think it's probably less of a factor with respect to violence than other kinds of factors. If you look, partly because violent entertainment, movies, video games, other things are also found in other countries, you know, prolifically. And, and could you argue if the NRA is the money and campaign force behind Republicans that don't want gun control, could you argue that Hollywood is uh, obviously in the, in the corner of the Democrats? Well, they, they do tend to, yeah, the Hollywood and entertainment industry mostly tend to be pretty liberal, tend to support the Democrats, but they do also produce a lot of violent content, and they want to have the freedom to produce, you know, whatever kind of entertainment that they that they choose to produce, and that's, that's popular. Yeah, I think the last time there was a national discussion about that sort of thing uh, goes back to Tipper Gore and the, the labels on explicit language on recordings, but that wasn't movies. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time here. I know you said you could only stick with us for a little bit. want to squeeze in the last two callers here quickly. Steve in Amherst, you're up now. Hi. Yes, sir. Um, he needs to tell the truth. Every single uh, mental illness facility, like Forest Avenue and Pilgrim State and Long Island, they were all closed. So there's no treatment for anybody. And by the way, he needs to support armed officers covering every entrance and exits in all the schools in this country, which he does not, so he's using the children as pawns. Mental health facilities in New York State haven't completely closed. Forest Avenue is open, but a lot of it has been moved into community-based shelters. Uh, Professor Spitzer, do you see us needing a change for any of that? And uh, if you could quickly address the idea of arming more people. Well, I mean, for, for in terms of mental health uh, treatment, etc., there's absolutely a need for more treatment, for more research, for more programs. The thing is, the people like President Trump who talk about it, has Trump proposed any legislation for more funding? Actually, his budget calls for cutting back appropriations for mental health-related issues and concerns. Um, and sorry, what was the other thing you asked? Arming people, perhaps arming teachers, more security in schools, that kind of thing. Well, security in schools, for sure. I don't think arming teachers is a smart or good idea, but schools increasingly do have resource officers or security guards that, you know, patrol schools, and that increasingly is happening. I'm sure there are many schools in the Buffalo area that have people that do that, and that, I think, is a perfectly sensible thing to do. All right. I think of P.T. Barnum, who said, always leave him wanting more. I know you... Uh 
We're only available for a quick half hour here. Glad to have you aboard, but we've got to move on. Thanks for your time this morning. Dr. Robert Spitzer, a professor in the political science department at SUNY Cortland, and again, a national expert really on gun policy, the author of five different books about it all. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. 